Amen. Thank you, Gabe. I hope you have turned to John 12 because I, I want us to consider this story well together, and we always do better to have our eyes in the text uh, to consider what God's Word uh, is saying to us. Uh, and I wonder as uh, we consider this text, as you heard, hopefully you heard the theme of belief coming up time and time again, I want you to consider what reasons someone might give for unbelief. You may know some people who don't believe in Jesus as you do, and um, if you were to enter into a conversation with them, they would probably give you a host of different reasons why. Maybe they know some Christians, or people at least who call themselves Christians, and they don't want anything to do with that Jesus. Uh, maybe you know someone who doesn't believe because th they think it, it's just a, a bunch of malarkey, just a, a myth. Uh, there's not enough evidence for it. It's just a waste of time. It's a crutch for people that can't handle themselves by themselves. Uh, there's a host of different reasons why people might say they, they don't believe. There, there's some reasons why you say you, you do believe. Uh, maybe you became convinced of the evidence. Uh, maybe you saw the truth in God's Word. It spoke to your heart of your need for forgiveness, your need for salvation, to be able to spend eternity with God forever. There's a host of different reasons that one would give for unbelief. There's a host of different reasons that one could give for belief. There's a host of different reasons that someone could give for believing and yet not living like it. Saying they're they a Christian and yet, well, this, I, I don't go to church because I, I don't need the church. I just need Jesus. Just me and Jesus, we're okay. I don't need the church um, or, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live this way for now, but I, I'm going to get serious about it later. And, and right now, I just got to really focus on myself. And, you know, there, there's a host of different reasons people can give for unbelief, belief, and even in the middle. Um, and Jesus and John really address some of the real reasons why people don't believe. Uh, they address some of the real reasons why people are kind of in that middle ground. They believe, but for fear of man and for the love of man, they, they are unwilling to confess it and live it out. And then on the other side, the reasons why people believe and are willing to live radically different lives and to have a hope that is, is different from the rest of the world. And so this, this passage is really important for us to consider uh, because you come in here with a host of different backgrounds. Some of you guests to our church whom I don't know from Adam. Um, some of you um, have been attending for quite a while, and I know a bit of your story. Some of you, you come in here, and I know you well. Uh, and I hope as a Christian, if you've come into this place, that uh, as we get, especially towards the end of the passage, you find real encouragement, real assurance of your faith, um, that, that you're able to go back out into the world again uh, on a solid foundation uh, of truth and on the solid foundation that is Christ. And if you come in, in here 
wavering in your faith, wondering whether or not you are a Christian or not a Christian, and just, just questioning yourself, I, I pray you'd be encouraged and you'd hear Christ challenge to you to come to Him, to believe once and for all today and to follow Him and to trust Him. And if you have come in here with a list of reasons why you don't believe, and just asking God to, to take away those reasons or wanting to see if there's a good reason why you ought to believe. I, I, I pray that you would see that. I've been asking the Lord and praying intentionally for us uh, this week because uh, we live in a world in the midst of unbelief uh, and belief and all of those in between. And, and even our prayer for the nations this morning um, dealt with the fact that there are People who believe, who aren't abandoning their beliefs because of persecution, but are even holding fast to their beliefs in the midst of persecution. And how are they able to do that? Well, it's because their faith is in something bigger than just these earthly circumstances. And they have a hope that goes beyond their earthly circumstances to eternal circumstances. And they've given up their love of God, their, their love of man and their fear of man, and love the Lord and His glory more than that. And so wherever you come into this place, I, I hope that uh, you're, you're able to be encouraged uh, and or challenged in your faith. And uh, I have been praying for us that, uh, that the Lord would do a work that only He can do, which is grant saving faith. Uh, this passage in John 12 uh, as Gabe said, this latter half of verse 36 uh, comes when Jesus really pronounces his final um, uh, sermonette, if you will, before he um, withdraws himself and before he really hides himself from the masses and begins for the next few chapters spending that, that evening with the disciples in that upper room discourse of 13 through 17 before he's later arrested and crucified. And Jesus was there in Jerusalem having entered into Jerusalem at the what we call the triumphal entry, that famous Palm Sunday scene. And he comes in and the crowd is longing for him to be their earthly king, but he comes in not going to be their earthly king, but is preparing uh, the scene for him to become their eternal king, if they would believe in him as the Son of God, if they would believe that it's his death as the Lamb of God that um, sheds his blood for the forgiveness of their sins. And it's as Jesus comes into uh, that situation, it's as Jesus comes in to Jerusalem where there's a, a host of Greeks, it says, that are longing to see him. They're longing to uh, want to be close to Him, to meet Him, uh, to be able to hear Him. And when Jesus hears that there are Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jews wanting to see Him, wanting to hear Him, wanting to believe and follow Him, Jesus says that my hour has come. My hour has come for me to then make a way for these Gentiles to not just see me here on this earth, but to see me 
spiritually, with spiritual eyes, to be, so that they might be able to see me forever in heaven with my Father. And so he, he says, my time has come, my hour has come. Believe now while the light is still with you, he, he urged them, um, because I'm going away. The light is going away. So believe now while you have the light. He said, now, 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 while you have the light, while you have the light, believe in me. And when he had said those things in John 12, verse 36, uh, our passage uh, picks up and says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. So this is essentially Jesus saying, I am the light. Believe now while you have the light. And he begins walking away from them. Almost as a sort of judgment that the light is going away from you. And, and it puts an, a, a little pressure on the scene. There's immediacy. There's an urgency about this moment as Jesus has said these things and he begins walking uh, away from them. And the immediacy brings us to our passage this morning. And I want you to note this, this kind of overarching truth over the passage that we're going to consider today, and it's this, that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life with the Father. Whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life with the Father. And I want to play that out through this passage this morning in three different ways. And the first one is this. Uh, they did not and could not believe because of God's Word. The truth is, from this passage, is that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life with the Father. But there is a group of people that John mentions, and he describes them as not believing, um, nor could they believe, and he says that one of the reasons why they could not believe was because of God's Word. Now, I know that truth is, is hard to consider, but, but I want us to look at what, what John is, is telling us here. Jesus has finished his words in verse 36, the first part of that. And now John is describing the scene. And, and it's almost as if John kind of pushed pause for a moment after describing the scene and G sharing Jesus' words. And now John's going to give some of his own thoughts. Um, John's thoughts from decades later as he's writing this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's looking back on that situation and saying, why didn't they believe? Why was there this large crowd of people that, that didn't believe? And so, recognize that these are John's words, John's commentary on the situation in verse 37. And though he, that is Jesus, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. In fact, there are so many signs, John says, at the end of his gospel, at the, in the very last verses of the gospel of John, um, John says that he wrote these down, but if one were to write all of the miracles and the signs that Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the earth for uh, them to be contained. And so John is uh, recollecting on all of those signs that Jesus did. And though He had done so many signs before them, 
they still did not believe in him. They still did not believe in him. So who is the the them in this passage? And, And what is John describing here? I think John is probably describing many in the crowd that was there that day, that was listening to the words of Jesus, but I think he's also really wrapping up everyone who he has described up to this point in John 1 through 12, who though they had seen these seven famous signs that proved that Jesus was the Son of God and didn't believe, uh, even though they saw those signs, they still did not believe in him. And ultimately, what he's uh, highlighting here is this group of people um, specifically the Jews, who were God's people um, identified in the Old Testament and were looking for and longing for their Messiah. They're the chosen one of God who was going to come and rescue and redeem His people. They were looking for this one. And yet Jesus showed them time and time again that He was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah. He proved it with His signs. And yet predominantly, though there are some exceptions, predominantly these Jews, and especially the Jewish authorities, did not believe in Him. And so this is where the Greeks who were longing to see Jesus are seen in contrast with the them who didn't believe We have this scene, the Greeks want to see Jesus, and the Jews do not believe in Him. Why why don't they believe in Him? Well, John John tells us, and I don't know, you may may like it or not like it, (laughs) but, but consider it in verse 38, or into verse 37, they still did not believe in Him, verse 38, so that, or in order that, the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And so John, again, is recollecting on this scene and why so many Jews and especially so many Jewish authorities did not believe in him. And he's thinking back to the Old Testament and he's saying this is a fulfillment of what God had said long ago. In fact, it had to be this way or else God's word would not be fulfilled. And if God's word is not fulfilled, then We can trust nothing. And so John is saying they didn't believe because God's Word had to be fulfilled. And and what John has in mind is uh, from a verse in Isaiah chapter 53. And in Isaiah, the end of 52 and 53 is called a servant song. It's a song about what they were to expect in the coming Messiah in the coming servant of God who would come to save them. And it describes Jesus so clearly that many Jews do not even want to read that chapter in their synagogues uh, this day. It's so clear that Jesus fulfilled the picture of Isaiah 52 and 53. But there God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 1, and John quotes it here in verse 38, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Isaiah then was writing and saying, even though we've said these things, no one's believing. No one is, is receiving these things. Lord, who have you revealed yourself to? There's no one that's believing these things. And John is saying the same reality that was happening back then is happening now. They weren't believing. They weren't putting their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, the Apostle Paul will quote that same verse later in Romans chapter 10. After Paul says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes on into that wonderful progression of, well, how can they call upon Him and whom they have not heard? And how will they hear upon hear of Him unless someone is preaching? And how will they preach about Him unless they are sent? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. After he says all of that, Paul quotes that verse, Lord, but who has believed? People aren't believing. Not everyone is believing in this. There is a, a majority group that is not believing in this. And so this was not only true of Isaiah's day in the Old Testament. It was not only true of Jesus' day describing predominantly the Jews and the religious authorities, but Paul is saying it's even true of the Gentile world uh, that, that uh, there is a, a group of people who aren't believing. And Paul would use that verse to even describe Jews who didn't believe, and because they didn't believe, that would kind of usher in this period when Gentiles would begin believing in Romans 9-11. through 11. But they did not believe, and John would go another step further, not only did not they believe, but they could not believe because of God's Word. They could not believe because of God's Word. And so if you thought that did not believe was a hard description, consider this in verse 39, therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, and here John is thinking of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, where after Isaiah had that great vision of the throne room of heaven and seeing the Lord uh, being holy, 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 uh, where uh, the angel took a coal and touched his lips to cleanse him of his sin, and Isaiah said, uh, God said, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And he went out uh, among the people. Uh, it wasn't an, an encouraging missionary venture because um, God told him that they would reject him, that they would reject his message. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, John quotes that passage and he says here, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. John, John says in verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. He saw God's glory, but he specifically saw God's glory in Christ and he was speaking of Christ in that moment. And that there were a people who in one sense God had blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. 
And that's hard for us to understand, honestly. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that God would harden someone's heart, um, blind their eyes, lest they see him and, and believe in him. But let me just remind us first that, that humanity had first and foremost hardened their heart against the Lord and become blind because of their own sin. And the Lord was simply leaving them in that state for a, a period of time. Uh, yes, we, we see this in other stories, stories of uh, a person like Pharaoh in Egypt who is described as both hardening his own heart and God hardening his heart as well. Why would God do that? The, the only reason I can explain it to you is to say that He is God and that we are not. And that God does all things for His greatest honor and His greatest glory to bring about the salvation of all of His people. And if God did not allow this group of people to remain hardened in their sin and rejection of Him in that moment, there would, the Jews and the Greeks would not have come seeking Him. The Gentiles would not have come longing for Him. That means that we, church, would not have gathered in this place wanting to believe in Him and, and trust Him. There is a, uh, a hard truth here to, to be able to accept, but, but we step back and, and realize that the reality of this truth is based in who God is and it is based in what His Word says. And that God is sovereign over salvation, but it doesn't mean that man isn't complicit in their own rejection of Him, their own sin against Him. It doesn't mean that man isn't responsible themselves to, to repent of their sins, to respond in faith. John is making it abundantly clear that the Jews of that day and age, especially the religious authorities in that day and age, even though they had had many signs done among them, they did not believe. And, and that was in fulfillment of God's Word. And in fact, they, they could not believe because not because God had um, put a new hardening and a new blindness upon them, but God had not simply softened their heart at that moment. God had not opened their eyes at that moment for them to be able to see these things. They had rejected Him time and time again. It sounds a lot like what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 29. In verse 2, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see and ears to hear. It's, it's happened throughout the generations that this is the reality. And were it not for the Lord giving us new hearts to believe these things, giving us eyes to see, you would not long for Him either. 
you would not have repented of your sins and believed in Him either. You would not be here. And so, Christian, let not the first reason you give for your belief be yourself or be man-centered. Let it be God-centered. For if the reason that they didn't believe was because God had not softened their heart and given their eyes to believe, the reason we have believed is because He has done those things for us. Praise Him. Worship Him. Thank Him. In fact, Paul brings that ver- these verses up at the end of the book of Acts when Paul has made it all the way to Rome and uh, is proclaiming the gospel in the midst of being in house arrest. It says in Acts chapter 28, verse 23, that when they had appointed a day for Him, they came to Him at His lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. That is the Old Testament. And praise God, verse 24, some were convinced by what he said. That is that some of them, their hearts were open, their eyes were open to believe these things. Is that you? Would that describe you having heard these truths maybe as a child or a teenager, a college student, even an adult, maybe even today? But he goes on, he says, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here was the statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For these people's hearts have grown dull, and with their eyes, the ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So there is a strong statement here, but it's one that's been the reality from Deuteronomy 28 to John 12 to Acts 28 and to our day and age that people believe because God intervenes. People believe because God gives them um, the soil, a fertile soil in their heart to accept the gospel seed, to believe those truths, that they would bear fruit and multiply um, 30, 60, even 100-fold. And we need to to consider um, this truth in the reality of what was happening in John 12, but we also need to consider it in, in our lives, um, not only if we are a Christian, that we need to be humbled and thankful for God's intervention, but as Christians sent out to be the church in the world, we need to be prayerful. We need to ask God to do something in the people that we live around and work with and, and meet with and hang out with. we got to ask God to do a work in their hearts 
that they might believe when we open our mouths. We have to open our mouths, but we have to ask the Lord to do a work in their hearts. Because if He doesn't, they will not believe, and they cannot believe. And so, Christian, let this truth and this reality humble us and make us thankful and praise Him for what He's done in our lives. But let, us, let it also humble us and get us on our knees praying for our children, praying for our neighbors, praying for our co-workers, praying for our family members that have yet to believe. For they don't believe because they can't believe apart from His intervention in their life. And we want to see that. We want to see that in them. But not only um, does John use language about them not believing and even um, could not believe, but he describes another group that did believe. Many did believe, but they did not confess it with their words. We see this in verse 42 and 43. Uh, After describing a predominant group among the Jews who had seen all the signs of Jesus and yet did not believe, he says in, in verse 42, nevertheless, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, they believed in him. Praise God. That there were, when he says they and them, that was describing a predominant, large, significant group of them, but it wasn't all of them. There's always a remnant. There's always a group. Even in Isaiah's day, there was a remnant of people who did believe. And John highlights that fact in verse 42. Nevertheless, many, not just of the the Jews as a whole, but even some of the authorities believed in Him. We could think of individuals among those authorities even named in the Gospel of John already like Nicodemus. Nicodemus who, uh, for fear of being known and seen, went to meet Jesus at nighttime in John chapter 3 where Jesus told him, unless you're born again, born again um, you will not see the kingdom of God. John began Nicodemus began wrestling with these truths and these realities. And to a certain point where, as we saw in John chapter 7, uh, it was describing um, uh, the Pharisees begin asking this question, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in Him? Um, saying that they should persecute Jesus because none of the authorities and none of the Pharisees had believed in Him and Nicodemus kind of secretly stood up for Jesus by saying, well, first, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing or, a lear- or learning what he does? And you can see Nicodemus trying to step out and like saying, but wait, well, let's give him a trial first. You know, like I met him at night. I'm, I'm still wrestling with all these truths. You can see this authority who has the seed of faith and it's growing up in him. Um, Still not fully fleshed out, but at the end of the Gospel of John, this authority, Nicodemus, is going to be one of the ones alongside Joseph of Arimathea who boldly, openly, publicly goes and takes down the body of Christ from the cross to bury Him in the tomb. And so John is highlighting the fact that there are some, uh, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But look at this other description of them. But for fear of the Pharisees, 
they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. One of the first reasons that many believe but do not confess is because of their fear of persecution of man. And be timely that we spent several moments this morning praying for the persecuted church around the world. James gave us several great points of how we ought to pray for them. Um, But here, there are some who believe who are unwilling to confess it for fear of the persecution of man, for fear that their co-laborers, their religious leader equals will kick them out of the synagogue. That was the same fear that the parents of the once blind man who had been healed to be able to see had. Uh, when, when they asked, is, is this your son? Was he blind? Who healed him? They said, it is our son. He was blind and now he sees. But you ask him who healed him. They didn't want to say anything in that moment. Why? For fear of being thrown out of the synagogue. There was a fear of man here. And there are many people who have, you know, a host of different descriptions could describe their faith. Hopefully it's childlike. Um, For some it's imperfect. For some it's insufficient. But, But they have a belief, they believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, but for fear of their peers, for fear of their parents, for fear of um, like this situation, whatever religion they find themselves in, their own religious authorities, they're fearful of them. Think about in the persecuted church around the world, uh, Muslims who fear their Muslim religious leaders or Hindu religious leaders or Jewish religious leaders. For fear of them, they're not going to confess their faith out loud. I hope and pray that the Lord would grow many in that and enable them to confess that faith before men, being willing to be persecuted. For Christ their Savior was persecuted for them. Uh, And so I pray that many would. But Christian, lest we just think that that's of others with childlike, imperfect, insufficient faith at that moment, that could describe us too, can't it? As we go out into our schools, among other teachers, or we go out into our workplaces, among other people, and for fear of being persecuted in our workplace, in our families, in our neighborhood, we keep quiet. We're unwilling to confess where we were on Sunday morning or what we learned on Sunday morning. We're unwilling to confess those hard scriptural biblical truths that cause us to uh, hold certain views and live in a certain way and do things a certain way and spend our money a certain way and not spend our money a certain way and those kinds of things. And Christian, let me, let me encourage you, let this not describe us. That, that we believe, but for fear of man and persecution of man, we don't confess it on Monday morning. It's easy to confess it on Sunday morning here in this gym with one another. This is a safe place. It's easy to confess it here. 
it's harder to confess it this afternoon on social media or to confess it tomorrow morning at school or at work or later this week over coffee with a friend who disagrees with you and on certain issues. That was one of the reasons for, for fear of man and persecution of man, but John gives us another reason why many believe but are unwilling to confess it. In verse 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They not only feared being kicked out of the synagogue, they loved the praise of men. And doesn't that describe us? We don't only, not only do we not want to lose, um, you, know, you know, certain privileges and certain benefits on that side, we love being praised. We love being built up. We love being encouraged. And we have to consider, do we love the glory of man more than we love the glory of God. We need to ask ourselves, would we rather our boss praise us tomorrow for you know, getting that, se- that sale despite what ethics it took, or would we rather have the Lord one day say, well done, good and faithful servant? Would we rather have our friends praise us because of the way we look or what, the way we dress or how good we did on the sports field? Or would we rather have the Lord say, you know, well done, good and faithful servant? Uh, would we rather have the glory of man or the glory of God? Uh, we have to ask ourselves those questions. And I hope that as a church we would we're not perfect at this. We all go out week after week and fall short in some of these areas. But I hope we would be described as a people who are continuing to grow in these areas. That we believe and we're uh, caring less about the persecution of man on our life and we're caring uh, less about the glory of man that we get week after week. And we care more and more about the glory of God week in and week out. And if you find yourself in this category, holy describes you, let me just urge you to take another step of faith. Take another step of faith and see that Christ is worthy of you being persecuted and worthy of you giving up whatever glory you might get tomorrow. Uh, Because one day we're going to stand before Him. One day we're going to stand before Him And Jesus says in Luke 9.26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do not be ashamed of him today. Be proud of being called a son or a daughter of God. Be proud of being called a brother or sister of God of Christ. For in the end, when we stand before Him, that's all that's going to matter. That's all that's going to matter. Your promotion is not going to matter. You being on that team is not going to matter. Your bank account is not going to matter. None of those things are going to matter. What's going to matter is what Christ says of you. Will He say, well done, good and faithful servant? And for while these people were described as believing but unwilling to confess it, Paul says in Romans uh, 10, 10, Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, 
um, but specifically verse 10, um, that it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. It's a both and. If we say we believe but are unwilling to confess, I wonder if our belief is actually true saving faith and belief. And so press in. Ask the Lord to continue to reveal Himself, to show you His worthiness that you might believe in such a way that causes you to confess, not caring about the persecution that man might bring or not worrying about the glory of man, but caring most importantly about the glory of God. But then the last thing, uh, these three groups of people, those who did not and even could not believe because of God's Word, uh, then there were those who believed, but they did not confess it with their words. Lastly, um, Jesus describes uh, those who believe, and because of their belief, they receive the Son and the Father's words. And so see in verse 44 through the end of the chapter, in verse 50, whoever believes receives the Son and the Father's words. And I want to highlight to you, after hearing some of these descriptions of categories of people who don't believe and couldn't believe, and after hearing another description of um, some who believed but they did not confess, hear this invitation by Christ Himself. For after John had a moment of commentary in verse 36 through 43, He goes back to that scene that Jesus was leaving and withdrawing and departing Himself in verse 36. And it's almost as if Jesus was departing to go and hide Himself. And as He was going back, he, He stopped and He cried out one last time to that crowd that was there in in John 12. And that's where John picks it up after giving us his commentary in verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, and, and this is what I want you to focus on, look at all the whoever's in this passage. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, Uh, sees Him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And then said a different way, not whoever, but if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. It's almost as Jesus, as as he's departing to hide himself with one last cry of invitation to those who don't believe um, and those who did believe but are unwilling to confess it, he's saying, whoever believes in me doesn't just receive me, but receives the one who sent me. And in this passage, the work of Jesus the Son is united with the work of God the Father. Jesus is saying, while we're distinct and the Father sent the Son, we're one. This is where we get this beautiful imagery of the the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all wrapped up together in one. 
And that's what Jesus is, is highlighting here. That whoever believes will not only receive Jesus, but will receive the one who sent him. And if you believe in Jesus, you're actually believing in God the Father. Um, not only that, but those who saw Jesus that day in the flesh were actually seeing God. This is what John made abundantly clear in the very beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 18, where he said, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He, Jesus, has made Him known. When these people were looking at Jesus, they were seeing God. When these Jews, who were worshipers of God and Yahweh, um, were longing to see God and to see His Messiah, when they looked at Jesus, they were seeing God, Yahweh, the one whom they were looking for. And even those of us, those of us 2,000 years later who have never seen Jesus, if we see Jesus with spiritual eyes to see as He's opened our eyes to see, we're not just seeing a man. Um, we're seeing God Himself when we see that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah who's left heaven and come to earth to live the life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve and to be raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. Uh, to ascend to heaven to sit on the throne having accomplished and finished his work we are seeing God when we uh, see Jesus and Jesus says that I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness he goes on and he begins describing those who would believe in him and hear his words um, and not keep them in, in a sense, not confess Him, not follow Him, not obey Him. Jesus says, at that moment, on that day, I do not judge Him. For I, do, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And Jesus is making mention here of something that He says famously after the most famous verse, John 3.16. He says that I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, through Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, I, I'm not coming to judge the world. Why? It's because the world is already judged. The world is already in sin. The world already has the Word of God, and we stand condemned already. Jesus is coming to take those who are judged and condemned already and save them. This is what he says in Luke 19.10. Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And so that's why Jesus can say that I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he goes on in verse 48 and says that the one who rejects me or those who do not confess me for fear of man or to receive the glory of man. And they do not receive my words as judged. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. When Jesus came, he came to save. 
We talked about a couple weeks ago as he came into Jerusalem, he came in riding a donkey, a, a, a symbol of peace. Um, but one day he would come, as Revelation describes, riding a horse to make judgment and war. Here Jesus has come to save, but he's coming again to judge. Uh, we all stand judged and condemned already. And we must believe in Jesus to receive forgiveness of our sins and salvation through Him. And so Jesus says in verse 49, For I have not spoken of my own authority. And here again, He unites Himself with the Father. But the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so here, as we consider believing in Jesus and believing His words, those who believe, as I said, will receive the Son and the Father's words, and that word is eternal life. Whoever would receive Him, who believe in His name, John says, He would give them the right to become children of God. And the word that Jesus has for us today upon believing in Him is not one of judgment, but is one of life. It's one of eternal life. It's one of hope. It's, it's one of uh, encouragement, both in this life and in the life to come. I just want to, in, in closing, I want to consider what John has said up to this point regarding this commandment that Jesus have, that Jesus has to give. This commandment that the Father had given to the Son to give to whoever would believe in Him. Um, consider these truths from the Gospel of John just all put together regarding eternal life. Whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God, listen, remains on Him. The water that I give Him will become in Him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on that last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever feeds on my flesh, Jesus says, and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. Or the disciples asked, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
Be encouraged. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the commandment that Jesus has from the Father to give to whoever would believe. So if you come into this place with a host of different reasons for not believing in Jesus, maybe a lack of evidence or maybe because you've seen some examples of Christians who don't match up to uh, what they ought or match up to at least the Savior whom they believe, let me say all of those reasons in the end are going to fall short because we'll be standing before the author of life and the giver of eternal life. And, and in that moment, we'll realize that they all fall short. And so realize from God's Word this morning that whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life from the Father. Or if you come here with a host of reasons of why you're not fully living out your belief in Jesus by living a sacrificial, selfless, radically obedient life to Jesus. Realize when you stand before Jesus to give your excuses and your reasons, your reasons too will fall short and you will be embarrassed. I will be embarrassed to uh, even bring them on the, the, the tip of my lips before Jesus. Let us um, throw down all of our reasons for unbelief or even belief that's not being confessed or lived out, and let us believe as Jesus urged us to believe in this last section of, of the Scripture, to believe in Jesus. And by believing in Jesus, we're believing in the Father. We're coming out of darkness and into the light. We know we've been saved from the judgment and that Jesus offers us this commandment of eternal life. I hope that you'd be encouraged in your faith this morning that you have reason to live even more so for his name as we go out this week praying that God would open up hearts and open up eyes in this world as you go out to be the church in the world with this good news and this hope that they might believe that they might believe and confess in him and experience this eternal light themselves but in addition to that, you going out and believing these things are true so that you would not fear man uh, and the persecution that he can bring and not live for the glory of man, but would live for his honor and for his glory, knowing what Jesus has already given you now and forevermore, eternal life. Let's pray. God, I confess that I have reasons why I don't live out my faith more. And I've been convicted of um, how those reasons fall short this week. God, I pray that that would be true of all of us this morning. That we would realize that any excuses or any reasons for unbelief, even mixed belief, um, fall short. And there are many, many, many more reasons why we ought to live every aspect of this life that you've given us for your name's sake and for your glory. God, I, I pray as I've prayed all week.
that you would do something that I cannot do. And that is give new life to dead hearts. Um, That you would open up blind eyes and unstop the ears of those who cannot hear. To be able to hear the good news of eternal life through Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection, by grace through faith. Um, God, that they would believe and, and begin walking on a journey of growing faith, growing, saving faith. Lord, help us to be a church who welcomes those who are seeking to believe in You and grow in their belief in You, and to be a place where we want to help others, and ourselves included, live out this faith and belief in You. God, I pray that we would ultimately, though, be humbled, that it is not us who are so smart or so wise or so good that we um, brought about our own salvation, but it is You, Jesus, who brought it about in our lives. And so it is to You that we praise and sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. We pray and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.